0: Let the uh, dog and pony show begin. (laughs) Oh, Arch, I kid. Arch Arch was the pastor when I was growing up here. I uh, grew to faith under his teaching. And uh, so I get to, you know, bust him up a little bit. I get to call him Archie. I get a lot of uh, leeway. I uh, told him, and this is true, I actually had two versions of this sermon. Uh, the first was written in case he decided to give his own sermon during his testimony. And that way I would just come up here and do like a five-minute sort of, oh, here's the Bible, and then we'd move on. But since he so graciously limited himself, uh, we'll get the, the normal the size sermon. Thanks, Arch. Um, New Year's resolutions are up. It's, it's time. Uh, in fact, if you get a note sheet... Um, uh, I have a, in here, a, the first thing you can do is you can write out uh, your New Year's resolution. This is a very important time. This is, uh, this is the time to reset and it's time to get your life in order uh, so that this next year you'll really have an opportunity to invest in yourself and invest in what you want your life to look like. Very exciting time. Uh, don't pay attention to the, the statistics that tell us that about only like 15% of New Year's re- resolutions get kept. Don't let that deter you. Uh, in fact, if you wouldn't mind while I'm uh, telling you my New Year's resolution, uh, go ahead and you know, just jot down maybe a few ideas. If you've already set yours up, you can just write that down. Uh, if not, just you know, maybe make a picture of what you'd like to become this year. Um, my New Year's resolution uh, is, really, it's about uh, you know, avoiding diabetes. Um, I'm on a one-way trip to uh, Diabetes Town, and the doc says, my doctor's literally named House. His, uh, his la- he's House. And he acts like House, if you've seen that TV show. He's like, I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to die. And I was like, oh, well, isn't everyone going to die? Like, <laughs> he's like, no, soon. I'm like, oh man, things just got real. Okay. He's like, uh, so here's the deal. Um, I can tell based on, you know, the tests that I've taken that you've done nothing physical in about five years. I'm like, yeah, that's how long I've been married. So, yep, that's right. Uh, so once, once I got married, I stopped, you know, surfing and, and, you know, getting out there and getting the heart rate up. And so, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I've seen what, uh, and, and you probably eat a lot. I'm like, oh, okay. Not as much as my friend Archie, but I do. I'm not not gonna say that I don't. I, yeah, okay, fair enough. He's like, uh, I gotta tell you, man, you're uh, you're headed down a rough a rough path. So you need to start. Here's the thing. I'm I'm not gonna make it too hard on you. My my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Um, the house plan to health is is all you got to do is get out there and you just need to walk for 45 minutes a day. That's it. So um, yeah, I started that uh, and. It went really well, but then I injured my foot because I'm aging now. And so the, so, so the body doesn't respond the way it ought to, uh, which is frustrating. So, yeah, I, um, I've been, if you've noticed, I've been gimping around a little bit. and It's almost better and I've got to get back on the, on the train. So that's my New Year's resolution. 45 minutes a day plus, just, you know, in, around here in Mission Viejo, we got some hills. So I get my heart rate up and, uh, and things are going to be good for me. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with investing in your health. Nothing wrong in investing in a healthy future. Um, But I do want to suggest that right now, uh, Jesus is going to give a warning and a challenge in this text. Um, There's going to be a warning to those of us who only invest in ourselves. Because what that investment does is it makes you greedy. In, uh, and there's going to be three ways that, that greed shows up in life and there's also going to be a challenge and the challenge is to the rest of us there's going to be a portion of the scripture where Jesus turns and says to his disciples and I want to suggest that most of us here have made a commitment to follow Jesus to be the kinds of people that are shaped by his vision of what life should be like and his challenge to us today those of us who are his disciples is to start investing in the kingdom of God instead of this life If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke 12, Uh, you have Pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, Luke 12, um, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 23. Scott, can you give me the Pew Bible number on that page? Because I didn't write it down. It's going to be Luke 12, 13 to 23. 5.50. 5.50. So turn to 5.50 in your pew Bibles if you're looking. It's going to be Luke twelve thirteen to 23. And if you would not mind, in keeping with our tradition, please stand as we read from the Gospel. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want some money. But Jesus said to him, Man... Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, that's the crowds, Take heed and beware of covetousness, greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no more room to store my crops? I know! He said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to myself, self, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night yourself, your soul will be required of you. And then who will those things be which you've provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, his disciples now, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, nor about the body, what you put on, your clothes. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Please be seated. Now, as a uh, a fan of the punk rock, I've listened to a lot of songs over the years about greed. And usually uh, in in our culture, when we think of greed, greed is always somebody else. It's always somebody above us. And I think probably the paradigm, and if you've just enjoyed this play during the Christmas season, the paradigm of greed in our culture is Ebenezer Scrooge. Right? Scrooge is the guy. He's the image, the the ultimate example of, of, of greed. In fact, uh, they're not here. They're on a, a cruise. A cruise for Christmas down in Miami. Tough life for the Gutierrez family really rough. Uh but Abby Gutierrez was in a uh, production of Scrooge this year and as I was watching it, I was I was just remarking to myself how ridiculous the Scrooge mentality is. And this is the mentality of greed that's just about acquiring. It's crazy. Scrooge is in his office and he won't even like put more logs on the fire to heat it up because that would cost money and what he really loves about money is just seeing the piles get higher and higher and higher. His whole goal in life is to be able to count more dollars or gold coins or pounds or guineas or whatever, every time he counts, and that's it. It's a very strange kind of greed. It's, it's, um, it's just acquiring more for the sake of acquiring more. It's uh, what Aristotle called um, acquisitiveness, the word that we get um, from Aristotle's Greek. And that's really an excessive desire for goods that can be spread out. If you uh, are around my age, you remember the uh, the DuckTales t- uh, cartoon. And Scrooge McDuck, um, named after Ebenezer Scrooge, had a big tower, not unlike the farmer in our parable. And what he did is he filled up his tower with gold coins so that he put a diving board in and he would dive into his gold coins and swim amongst them and let them wash over his face. <laughs> and, you, and you have to wonder. That's a very strange way to live your life. In fact, I would suggest to you that that's not really the greed that we actually encounter most of the time. That's a very strange version of greed. That's a greed that's almost like those uh, TV shows, hoarders, where it's just, it's just, I'm just getting more, not because I'm going to use it for anything. Just, I like looking at it. That's, a, it's almost, it's almost. I, I want to suggest you more like a mental disorder than it is anything approaching the kind of greed we encounter in our regular lives. And over the course of this sermon, we're going to uh, figure out three reasons for greediness that isn't just, you know, I want more. It's not the Scrooge version of greed. It's going to be greediness that comes from three different sources, three different desires. And they're going to come from our text. Now, if we're reading this text, uh, Jesus is talking to a large crowd, and then one guy, a young man in the crowd, stands up, and he says, I can tell that you're a good guy, Jesus. You clearly have legal and religious authority. Can you tell my brother to give me my share? Now, I'm an only child, so I can't imagine what this would be like. But for those of you who have siblings and also parents that have something to give you, um, you might empathize with the young man. What? Okay, so the, so dad dies... And th- these are farmers, so a farmer leaves uh, the land to his family, and the eldest son will be the one who's in charge of uh, you know, distributing it according to Old Testament law. And this elder son has apparently decided to keep the plot together. And the younger son says, no, 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 I want mine. Now, we have to sort of reset our minds. We live in a, in a country that's very large. And I remember in movies, sometimes uh, in Silverado, I think, there's one point point where the character says, there's always more land in America, right? Um, So if you have a problem, you can just go west, young man right? That's the line. You can go out and you can find new land, new place to survive. Well, that's not the case in ancient Israel. That's not the case in most countries that have a large population and a small land mass. In those, co- in those countries, land is apportioned and everyone, hopefully, has a little bit of a share. And this is actually how Israel was divvied up. The idea um, in the Old Testament law is that a family would it would have a plot of land. That, that plot of land would be passed down through the, through the generations. And you might wonder what happens if the family gets bigger, you know, if they're fertile. Well, you do what you do in Japan. When I was in Japan, my um, my supervisor—he was not a farmer, but his parents were—and at a certain point, his uh, you know his family started to expand, and so his dad um, said, "Okay, son, it's time to stop renting," and he just put on a new wing of the house, and so Machida-san and his family moved into the family you know house, and the house got bigger and then Machida San's brother who uh, at the time was in the east of the country doing business at a certain point would be selling his business and using the money to come and move in and put on another wing of the house and his family would live there and the idea is that this family plot of land would stay with the Machida family uh, throughout the generations and that through uh, harmonious relations the family would become you know larger and more prosperous in the area you 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 don't you don't get rid of it you don't split it up you keep it in the family it's a household it's a larger definition of family than what we might be used to in, in, the, in the first century West, or 21st century West. We tend to think of a household um, as, you know, nuclear family. Well, that's not the case in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it's it's a it's a larger unit. It includes cousins and uncles and aunts. And as a result, what the natural order of life is supposed to be is your family is supposed to have what God has given you, and if you can expand it through good business, great, but you stay there. And so the young man's question, while not offensive to us, might have raised a few red flags in the ancient Near East. Because if this young man wants to get off the land, then there's a problem with his family. Perhaps his brother is running the farm in a way that he doesn't like. And so he thinks, we need to split up the land and I'll show him. Perhaps. The young man is a little bit like some of us. Especially men, but women as well. Typically, I I sense this in men, but the young man wants to show the world a thing or two. That he's the guy. That he can make a name for himself. That he doesn't need to be connected to his older brother. He wants to say, he wants to say, you know what? Either give me half the land or take out a loan, give me the money and I'll go start a business somewhere and I'll show you what I can do. And then he'll be able to make a name for himself. He'll be able to acquire the status and the influence that comes from having power over one's own life and success in one's own name. And so when Jesus says, man, as it gets translated, he really is saying, man, man, who put me, judge, or arbitrator over you. And we might be thinking, well, God did. That's your, that's your job, Jesus. You're the judge. You're the only one who comes in, in, in judgment. Jesus, isn't this exactly who you're supposed to be? Well, Jesus is supposed to be those things, but he, he declines in this case. He declines to take a stake. He declines to make a judgment, to be an arbitrator. He declines to have the power and authority he's been given by God because he perceives in this man an investment in the wrong things. Notice this man is not invested in his family. In fact, he's ready to split his family apart, going against the vision of life in the Old Testament. In fact, this man's desire for the status and power that come the status and influence that come from being a self-made man has caused him to put that in front of the household. To put it simpler, he's greedy. That's the first reason for greed. Status. Power. We want... The status slash power that wealth can bring us, and I want you to notice how insidious this type of greed is. When I say things like status and power, we're like, "Oh yeah, that's bad stuff for sure." So think about this. You know, we uh, I I stay up late at night every night, and I get my phone out and I get my Zillow app. Have you guys seen this? Zillow, it's great. It's um, it uh, it, it it for the most part locates all of the houses that are for sale in the area, and it has like a little map that you can zoom in. There's pictures of all the houses. And I sit there and I think, man, if I could just just get into that one, you know, then I'd have made it, right? Then people would look at me and be like, he's a homeowner. He's not a renter anymore. He's made it. He showed them. He showed us. We thought he was no good, but it turns out, nope, he can do it. And then I think, well, no, no, that's not why I want it. I want it because, well, By golly, my daughters deserve to grow up in a house that looks like this instead of the one I already have. And so I'm able to say, based on, I'm able to justify my true... Uh, desires on, on on things that are good. I'm able to justify uh, the reasons that I want to go after these really good things in human life. It's not a bad thing to want a plot of land or a home or any of those things. But but when when you're willing, when it, when when it becomes about what it gets you, when it gets you that status, that power, that influence, that I showed them I'm respectable, I'm hitting all of the markers of what it looks like to be a good, normal, awesome person in Orange County. When I'm when that's why I'm after what I'm after. When that's what it becomes, that becomes greed. It quick quickly translates into greed, because I'm no longer focused on the goodness of the things in themselves, I'm focused on what they can get, wah, this life, investment, now. And if someone wanted to call me out, I'd be like, oh, no, no, man, no, no, that's not what I'm, about. <laughs> it's Tom. <laughs> status, influence? First off, if you're after status or influence, would you ever want to be the kind of person who's in charge of things? Oh, wait, yeah, you would. In fact, you might even think that pastors might be especially in danger of these types of sins. But what I would say to you is, I'd be like, no, 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 it's just for my daughters, because they deserve this. And you can see how quickly this is an insidious form of greed when we're looking for status or power. The second uh, reason that people become greedy is a desire for security. And we see this in Jesus' uh, teaching about the farmer. I mean, the farmer, he's obviously, he's already rich. It says that he's rich. And so what does he do? He's going to build greater barns and store all of his crops and goods. And then he'll be able to say to himself, soul, you've got many goods. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, what this guy's going to do is remove all possibility of danger for him and his family by acquiring more stuff. He's going to be secure. He's going to have many goods for many years. He's going to be safe. You know, I read an article, this is really sad, uh, th- this is about human beings and our desire for security. Uh, there's an article about, uh, it's primarily about Indian American young ladies, but it also applies, um, to a, a popular thing that's going on in the last 20 years in New York City, and it's that girls, uh, when they're growing up, they get to, um, their early 20s, and they decide to just sort of play the field, have a lot of fun, right? They're not looking for a, a husband, they're not, they just want to, express themselves uh, with their um, intimate relationships. And it, it's just a it's just they go out and they go out and they, they do this, do that. And for Indian American ladies, this is primarily with uh, young white men. And then they get to a point late in their 20s or early in their 30s where they see the writing on the wall. And they recognize, I am no longer going to be as pretty as I am. And so I'd better flag down somebody I can depend on. Otherwise, I'm not going to have the security that surely I deserve. And then these young Indian American women go to their families and use the traditional spouse sorting system, find a young Indian man who, a young Indian American man who dedicated himself to hard work in school, became a doctor, never messed around, played by the rules his entire life, and then she says, Take me now! As soon as she needs a provider, as soon as she needs security, She goes for the safe bet. This rich farmer does exactly the same thing with his life. He needs safety, he needs security, so he builds a bigger barn to store all of his crops and goods. And notice again that just like with status and influence, that this type of reason for greed, this need for security and safety, can be used to justify very good things in order to justify our acquisition, our our desire to get more, right? I mean, who's not going to say, I want my kids to be to grow up in a safe place, right? I mean, that is a really good thing. Nobody's going to say, I want my kids to grow up in a war zone on the border of Burma and China. Nobody says that. And yet, and yet, when security and safety become the full-on, number one, 100% focus of our lives, we use that word, use those words, safety and security, to justify the greedy people that that turns us into. Just a side note. Imagine. Imagine what happens when the farmer does this in the first world, or the first century in the ancient Near East. We actually have an example of it in the last five years. Um, you may have heard of uh, excess reserves. Have you heard of this? The Federal Reserve does this? The, the, this is awesome. The Federal Reserve um, has offered to the large banks and large donors or large uh, people with a lot of money, you can invest in us, you can put your money with us here in the Federal Reserve and we'll guarantee you a certain percentage on that money. right? And it just so happens that that Percentage is higher than what a bank would get if it lent money to Pat to buy a home, right? She, if the bank uh, loans money to Pat, it's going to get three percent, best case scenario. If it puts its money with the Federal Reserve, guaranteed five, guaranteed seven percent, right? Now the banks figured this out very quickly, and so over the course of the last five years, uh, the amount of money that was invested in the Federal Reserve by the uh, big six banks went from five hundred or six hundred billion to one point six trillion a $1 trillion increase in the amount of money that was put with the Federal Reserve. Well, that $1 trillion that's now with the Federal Reserve is no longer being used to lend out to small businesses and homeowners. And so if you're the kind of person who wants to start a small, small business or own a home, you're out of luck. The money's not there. There's a better place for it. It's doing better things. This is exactly what happens when the farmer puts all of his stuff in a big, fat barn, now when the people who work on his fields go out to the market, there's nothing there. And so they have to walk farther and farther. And like with any shortage, uh, the prices go up because there's less to be available for those who need it. Suddenly the entire economy of this, of this area is turned into a mini famine because this guy needs a bigger and better barn so he can be safe. The second reason for greed is the desire for safety, security. And the last thing that contributes to our greed is a desire for access to pleasure. The farmer says that he'll eat and drink and be merry. We don't need to say too much about this. We've already invented a word for it in our culture. It's called conspicuous consumption. Um, The idea that we're just going to go and acquire more and more and that'll hopefully make us feel better about ourselves, but apparently it doesn't, so we get into a nasty little cycle. Access to pleasure, the fun things in life, the food, the clothes, um, the cars, the houses, uh, the apps is a big one now, um, diversions, movies, video games, etc. 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 And when we need these things more and more and more, We have to have more and more money to get them. And before we know it, we're greedy. Now friends, every single one of these three reasons that people become greedy, the reasons that we see in the life of the young man who wants the inheritance and the farmer from Jesus' parable, they have one thing in common. At every point, these greeds, this greed comes from desires that are focused on investment in this life. verse 23, Jesus says, life, life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Man, if we could put that word life in all capital letters, kind of the way that that John does in his gospel, the Johannine literature, life, abundant life. If we could talk about capital L life, real living This is what Jesus is talking about. It's more than food. It's more than clothes. It's more than cars and and, and houses. It's more than safety. It's more than security. It's more than influence and power. It's more than access to pleasure. The Bible knows that you need stuff. The Old Testament talks about shalom-type life. It includes stuff. God gets it. If you don't have food, you will die. If you don't have shelter, you will be exposed. The Bible understands that. The question is, is that all you're invested in? Is that the whole point? Because if it is, that's life that lives, acts as if this is all there is, that it ends, and that's it, done, out, finished. That's the life of the atheist young people in New York City. You got to get it now, because there's nothing else. YOLO. You see, the Bible has a bigger vision for life. The Bible's vision for life includes proper worship, knowing who God is and telling who God is, God who God is. Being invested in God and who God is. The proper kind of life, capital L life, involves a community. The proper kind of life involves family. This is the kind of shalom shaped life we see throughout the scriptures. And notice, notice what you don't get from the young man and the farmer. The young man wants to split his family up. The farmer has to say to himself, Self, I need all this stuff. You know why he's not saying wife? You know why he's not saying friends? You know why he's not talking to anybody else? Because he's alone. When you are invested 100% in safety, security, status and power, and access to pleasure, you end up by yourself. You end up cut out of the kind of vision of life that God has for his people. That's where greed ends up every time. And so, if the concerns of eating and sleeping, sheltering, being respected are your number one concerns, I don't even ha- you've already diagnosed yourself. You're a greedy person. But Jesus has a solution. Instead of investing in this life, invest in the kingdom of God. He says, don't lay up treasure for yourself. Instead, become rich toward God. Good news, friends. In the Gospel of Luke, being rich toward God is the same thing as being a disciple. It's someone committed to the good news of Jesus' kingdom. It's someone committed to repentance. It's someone committed to acting the way Jesus acts. If that's what shapes your life, you're going to be rich toward God. And I should mention, God does not hate rich people. You know, oh man, sometimes you, well, the w- where I exist in, in the world of, you know, in between church and academia, so many guys in academia and ladies, they just, they have this idea that God is just really upset with rich people. Like that God hates the rich. To which I want to say to them, I want to shake them by the shoulders and be like, man, if so, you should really be looking out. You should be scared. Because you live in America, So you are by definition rich. In fact, if you think about it, every single person here, every single person in this church has access to a quality of life that would be the envy of the pharaohs of Egypt and the kings and the queens of of the British Empire. I know, I know, a lot of people here are very upset about the Obamacare. I get that. I still suggest to you, you would much prefer Obamacare in 21st century United States of America than whatever passed for medical care in 18th century Britain. God doesn't hate the rich. What he wants is for people who have resources to deploy them in the service of the kingdom. And that your resources, they might be time, physical power, you know, for those of you who lift. And parent, House, Dr. House says I should probably lift. I'm not ready to go there yet, man. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too big. Um, it's a problem. My brother-in-law, Brett, I mean, he's sculpted. Like, I get it, Brett, all right, you're great. And physical power, money, empathy, wisdom. Whatever you have, deploy that in service of the kingdom. That's becoming rich toward God. And so we're caught with these two temptations the one is to be uh, the carnal Christian. And that's the, uh, I even I want to suggest to you, maybe the young man is sort of this person. I mean, we don't know. We don't see him again. But the, the young man who says, you know, divide my inheritance. Notice that he does acknowledge Jesus as a religious and legal authority. Like, he really thinks that Jesus is a prophet, a teacher. And maybe, presumably, somewhere down the line, you know, someone comes up to him and is like, oh, that Jesus guy? Yeah, man, he died for your sins. And the, the young man, enjoying his inheritance, is like, oh, I knew that kid was going to make good. Great news, great news. Hey, can I tell you about my portfolio? Because it's really blowing up. That, I I, kind of think of, maybe that's the sort of person he is. And this is the kind of person who wants to have their cake and eat it too, right? You know, I want to be a a Christian, but I really want to be invested in this life, because it's awesome. I really am concerned about the status, the power, the security, the safety, access to pleasure. Those things matter to me, and I want to set my life, organize my life around it. Well, friends, his investments here will all amount to zero, because he's going to die. But worse, because he set his life up like that, there will be no reward for him in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, your portfolio is great. But heaven doesn't have a stock market. That's one danger for the disciple. The disciples are looking their nose. notice Jesus turns to his disciples and says, No! after talking to the crowd and the young man. And the disciples might be thinking, oh, that guy's got it kind of figured out. And Jesus is saying, no, be rich toward God. Everything that guy has is getting wiped out. You're on a one-way trip to the grave, friends, and your stuff's not going to pass through that. Moreover, if you want to be rich in God's kingdom, don't go that way. The second, and I think probably a little more dangerous for the people here, Uh, Because, man, I've lived among you. I've I've grown up here, and I know how hard and um, how genuinely you seek the kingdom of God. And this is the danger of being a good Christian for all the advantages that come with it. Um, It's actually very easy to be a good, respectable Christian, but to have at the core of your being the reason for why you're doing it to be your investment in this life, your desires for status and power, our desires for security and safety, our desire to even have access to fun. You can do all the things of of being involved in the kingdom, but it can actually all be in service to an investment in this life. If we're building the kingdom in order to make ourselves valuable to others, which is the same thing as safety and security, it's the same game. You're just, it's... Let's get secure. Let's get safe. If we, and really, I mean, I, you know, we're going to imagine Neil's there. If Neil, this is for you and me. If you're doing the work of the ministry for the paycheck, whoa, playing the same game. And man, there are a lot of dudes out there who make a lot of money playing this game. If you're in it to be the person that everyone depends on, he says, wow, what a great person. They're the kind of person I want to be like. I uh, lift them up if it's if that's what it's about. You're not playing the right game, friends. You're still back at in the old way of life. You haven't entered into real discipleship. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean the good things you do are for Jesus. Trust me, I know. So, yeah. Dr. House has me alright man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try and set aside 45 minutes a day. Just got to get this foot healed. Don't heal too quickly because I'm enjoying sitting down a lot. But when you do, I'm going to get back in the game. Yes sir, Dr. House. Um, That's a good New Year's resolution. It's important. But what I I want you to think about is that this new year, what kind of investment in the kingdom are you going to make? How are you going to set your life up so that it's not about these desires which again, you know, God doesn't hate rich people. He doesn't think that you shouldn't have anything. Like a, <laughs> That's crazy too. But really, every time you have an opportunity to seek after those things, you might be missing out an opportunity to invest in God's kingdom. So what's it going to be this year, friends? What's it going to be? What is it that you're going to dedicate this year where you're going to say, I'm not going to invest in this life. I'm going to invest in that life. Now, I, again, don't get me wrong. It's not like God needs this, okay? God's not... You know, God doesn't need you to build up his kingdom. He's doing fine on his own. But he is giving you an opportunity to participate with him. And he is giving you an opportunity to invest in a portfolio that really pays out, really gives dividends in the next life. He's, he's open arms. He's like, hey, man, I got this great op- investment opportunity. You'd be a fool not to take advantage of it. And here it is. Friends, this is your year. What's it going to be? God's faithful. He's not going to forget your investment. I want to suggest to you this last thing. If you, if you take up the challenge, and there's even a little space there, a New Year's kingdom investment, you can just write something. One thing that you're going to do. Time, money, uh, effort, energy, whatever it is. I want to suggest that by doing that and saying, this isn't about my life, this isn't about this world, this is about, God, your life and your world. I want to suggest that if you do that, then you will be living out verse 34. In chapter uh, 12 of Luke, verse 34 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, we often get this backwards. We think that wherever our heart is, our treasure will go. No. If you put your treasure somewhere, your heart will follow it. If you put your treasure in the kingdom of God, this heart that you have that's really honestly not focused on God's kingdom 24-7 will start to turn towards it. Because you, that's where your investment is. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. It's going to go, it's going to follow your treasure. And one day you're going to wake up and you're going realize, wow, I'm thinking a lot more about God's kingdom than I used to. And it's going to be because that's where your investment is. If your life is devoted ever more to God's projects of evangelism, of charity you're ever more invested in seeing the lost saved, the dispossessed, cared for, you're going to start to be more invested in the next life and less invested in this one. Investing in the kingdom isn't because God needs your help. It's because your heart does. And so that last thing in your note sheets, if we invest in the kingdom. That will be what we start to care about. Let's pray. God, we pray uh, that we will be people whose hearts are turned towards your kingdom. We pray that 2015 will be a year of investment in your work. Investment in your people. Investment in your projects. God, I pray that in 2015 we will be people who start looking less at the importance of this life, chasing after influence, chasing after security, chasing after pleasure. But instead we'll be the kind of people who chase after you. And God, we trust that when we do that you'll be faithful, that you'll be pleased to give us the kingdom, that all the other things will be added to us, and that in the process, you'll change our hearts and make us people who love and care about your kingdom more than the world. We love you, God, and we thank you for the gift of your Son, the gift of his word, and the life that is to come. In his name we pray. Amen.